What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. This episode of The Hive Jive is brought to you by... A redneck brother from another mother down under. Thank you, Brett. Have so many things to talk about this morning. You know what the very first thing we're going to talk about is? Bees. You. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So just just as a, uh, for everybody out there listening, this episode is actually eventually going to be uh, basically your second checklist for your second year of spring prep. And mm-hmm. those are kind of some of the, the topics we're going to talk about. We had that initial checklist a few episodes ago and gave you just a high level overview, things to consider and think about and told you to go start prepping your stuff. Now we're going to go through and start talking about some of the next steps and concepts to do. And but before we get into that, we have some shout outs to do. I have some rants to do. And of course, first and foremost, Ken, your adoring fan base would like to hear from you, sir. <laughs> what? Tell them I'm, I'm well and healthy. You're alive. You're healthy. Oh, you're well. So y'all do not know how much better I feel. I've done. We've already done a three hour show. Yeah. And I'm wide open. I'm, I'm ready to keep going. So and I haven't been like this and hell long time well so the the fans on your radio show uh they know they got to hear about it the week before mm-hmm. so they they kind of caught that and then some yeah, of our one listeners of them sent me a get well thank you for the get well card yeah that was conrad conrad, conrad actually Appreciate so he's it, a brother. fan of the hive jive and he actually was listening to your great outdoor show mm-hmm. the week prior so he had a heads up that you were going to be out and uh, had some some stuff going on uh our patreon members they mm-hmm. got to hear the, the little brief synopsis of it mm-hmm. so but for the rest of our main group here on the hive jive give them kind of a, a breakdown of what actually occurred when i turned 50 i was having um uh, troubled urinating and i didn't know what it was my dad i knew he had trouble uh and my and I, then i found out my oldest brother he had trouble and they all went to the doctors, the urologists, and they had the work done, and everything's back, fixed back. But we never, nobody ever talks about it. We never talked about it. So, you know, I was having trouble urinating, and I just kind of, well, okay, well, something you just get when you start getting older, and I just never paid any attention. And uh, basically what happened is, my prostate got so large it shut the flow urine flow down and back flush back filled my kidneys and i could not empty my bladder and after all of that and after doing that about three times i was almost to the point of dialysis yep and uh, but now i'm back uh they went in there they did all kinds of uh uh, you got a rotor rooter. I got a rotor rooter job. Exactly. <laughs> what, that's what I, I sent my urologist. I says, "Are we going to rotor rooter me?" <laughs> yep, that's exactly what we're going to do. And he did, and uh, and I'm back, and everything's wonderful. And uh, I think with this, I had a slight infection for years because I have never felt this good. Yeah, you're actually. You, he's all up and energetic and bouncing around and and in good spirits and. Yeah. It's actually, it's great. Oh, it, it is. I mean, I can't believe it. I can't believe, you know. So, guys, just go. And, and ladies, I'm talking to y'all. If your guy has had trouble urinating, 
make him go to the doctor. Yeah. End of story. We like to be stubborn and yes, we, we like to, well, we don't like to talk about any nope. sensitive subjects nope. or anything about, you know, anatomy and boy yeah. parts and all of that stuff. But if you are having, you know, any type of issues, if you're having pain in certain areas, um, whenever you try to go to the bathroom mm-hmm. or, you know, or if you just go dribble, dribble, drop, drop. And then immediately feel like you still got to go and it's urgent. Any of those things, you got to get out there and get it checked. And one of the things we talked about whenever I was filling in for you on the the radio show was that you know, it's it is extremely common. It's not oh, yeah. one of those one out of two men will have it. Yeah, as as you get older and as things go on, um, you know, between forty and fifty, that is kind of when the the chances and the risks start going up. Some people are genetically predispositioned for it, but ultimately, by the time you're fifty, it's like one in three. Yep. And then by the time you're eighty, ninety percent of men will have it. Yep. So it is not this uncommon thing. It's not anything to be ashamed of. It unfortunately happens to just about all of us at some point so suck it up go out there get tested get tested especially if you're over 50 get tested every single year make sure that everything is going well try to catch it ahead of time and absolutely do not be stubborn about it because like ken said you know he had already his his bladder had already gotten to the point where it was engorged and then it was backing up into his Mm -hmm. kidneys he had an infection in there and then when the kidneys flood that actually causes the kidneys they can shut down and if they completely and and they start getting bigger he showed me where my kidneys were stretching yeah they actually had stretch marks uh, but the kidneys are a organ that will reproduce itself reheal itself if you catch it unreal if you catch it in time yes but if it gets to the point where the kidneys officially shut down and you go on to dialysis you're you're done dialysis is a one-way street Um, you don't get to come back from that once they start you always have to be on it so don't let it get to that point guys but we are so thankful and ken um you know ken is is well i mean you can tell him you're here i don't have to talk for you you're here but all of the 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 emails and the messages and the literally physical cards and all this stuff um he has been very blown away and flattered by yeah, all thank of the y'all attention. very much i started the show out with eric i told eric i says aerosmith i'm back in the saddle again yeah i can't do steve tyler but yeah <laughs> i don't i don't know there's you know basically i think the only person that can is steve tyler yeah i guarantee you <laughs> but yeah back in the saddle again <laughs> so we want to go through here and uh just right off the very top of the show we are going to give thanks as we have done here for the past several episodes we want to do thank you to our newest uh patrons on patreon so thank you to Lacey, and we have given Lacey a, a lot of attention and grief over the past year, talking about her top bar and, you know, going back, and, and she was one of our listeners that had sent in, like, you know, the the 27 mm-hmm. questions in one email kind of thing, mm-hmm. and so uh, we just wanted to give a shout out to Lacey, tell her thank you very much for joining us on Patreon, and then also... Alistair, which I believe is Al. Um, Don't quote me on that, but I think it is actually Al. So Alistair, thank you very much, sir, for going out there and joining us on Patreon as well. We greatly appreciate that. And so we just wanted to give you guys a shout out for anybody else out there who has not already checked out Patreon. You know, feel free to do so. That is where all of the bonus episodes have disappeared to. So every single week we put out another bonus episode. It comes out on Thursdays and you can find those out there on Patreon. Patreon is designed for anybody who wants to support somebody like Ken and I who are out here 
you know, kind of hustling it on the street and putting out a an art or a product or, or anything like this, a show, a podcast. So, so you can go out there to Patreon and you can check that out. And uh, it's patreon.com forward slash hive jive. And that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash hive jive. Uh, go, go see what all's out there. There's deeper dive episodes. There are training and educational videos that are those take a little bit longer. So, you know, those are kind of slower to come along because that does require lots of uh, recording and editing and stuff. But definitely go check that out if you would like more Hive Jive in your life. But if you're happy with just the every single Monday episode, that is perfectly fine as well. They will always be there for you guys. And so jumping off from that, before we get into the main segment, I have about 30 soap boxes I would like to climb on top of. Okay. And uh, while these could constitute... Now, are they soap boxes? Are they brood boxes? Are they uh, honey, you know, honey mediums? We, we'll, we'll, they could be brood boxes. <laughs> I'm going to climb on top of a couple of brood boxes here, okay. and uh, we're going to have a chit-chat. So uh, the first thing really ultimately could very well be the fact that the news is it's a bunch of BS, and my Instagram... When I logged into it, and I, no, no, sorry, it's not even my Instagram. It's my Google News Feed. Okay. When I go into my Google News Feed and I start scrolling through there, we have uh, from the Sacramento Press. Oh, oh see, that one's going to make me even, I hadn't even read that one yet. That's Is this the one where the 1B, uh, Eric no, sent hey, me one where 1B. That's, well, we can talk about that first. Yeah. That's fine. So, Eric, yes, go go ahead. A 1B stung a policeman, Eric? Is that what it was? So he stung a, a firefighter or an EMS. Firefighter. Yeah. So there, there was a, uh, well, okay, so what happened on that one? And this was something that uh, Eric had sent over to us. I'll actually just go into Eric's message here real quick, and I can read it. Again, all of the news Basically, stuff, right? all she did was just tag the guy, and here comes the swarm. Well, see, I don't know, because this is where the sensationalism and things like that happen. So here's the article, the top of this specific article. A swarm of nearly 40,000 bees attacking police responding to that a single... That was That isn't a swarm. <laughs> no, no, it's not any of it. Um, attacking to a uh, police responding to a single bee report. So what had happened was one individual got stung. Hmm? Somebody called, uh, you know emergency response and the emergency responder people showed up the very first firefighter on the scene got the brunt of all the stings okay now if i leave out some of the details this can sound drastic especially when you start with there were forty thousand bees stinging people well okay so it says they were responding to a report of a single bee sting but their problem was about to get a whole lot worse a group of firefighters and police that were responding to the bee sting were attacked thursday afternoon by a swarm of nearly forty thousand africanized bees Three of the first responders were rushed to the hospital while the others were quickly shot down. Oop, while others quickly shot down the block. I turned it into a shooting. <laughs> while others quickly shot down the block. I heard damn good shot them. Um, shot them bees. Shot them bees out of the air. Out of the ground. Right out so, the, one of the firefighters said, I've been with the fire department for 18 years now and have responded to several bee incidents. The This is in Pasadena. So the Pasadena Fire Department um, and public information officer Lisa Darren told CNN, but never to this magnitude. So all in all, this is how they described it. A block full of bees. The bees stung seven people in total. <laughs> Two of them didn't go to the hospital, but the remaining five did. No one got it worse than the very first firefighter. And these bees stung him, guess how many times? If if you remember, then it's cheating, but guess how many times? 105. See, that's what I would have thought, too. He got stung 17 times. That's it. 17 times and just complaining? Now, granted, 
one bee sting sucks and it stings and it hurts and you say bad words. 17 bee stings is not fun, but it is also... I ain't kidding you. There, there is no way that kill. all of those seven people happen to be genetically predispositioned to be truly allergic and have anaphylactic shock from 17 or less bee stings. So that's not 17 on one guy. That's a, no, that's 17. 17. That's 17 on one guy. But he was the one that got the most, which means yeah. everybody else got less than that. Well, he just got tagged by the one that stung him. Well, so the whole thing was was just this whole article is just kind of crazy. You go keep you keep going through it and it says the bees were very aggressive. Um, somebody could have had could have had an allergic reaction and it could have been serious or fatal. Could have had. Mm-hmm. But yet they took five people to the hospital, but they just also acknowledged right there that nobody actually had an allergic reaction. So it's overreaction. It's overdramatization. And then you put it out there in the news. And it scares the hell out of people. Fight news. Um, firefighters and a professional beekeeper climbed a ladder to remove the hive, which was on the roof of a four story Hampton Inn. OK, so now it's bees on the roof of a hotel. Um, they jump past this and they say that they sprayed the bees with CO2 foam. And then some of the bees were killed while the others left the area as the sun went down. The beekeeper safely removed the hive so that the bees could not return home. And that's the end of the article. And I read it and I was like, what the hell? So first off, they took their home away. Well, but what what was it? Was it an actual manageable beehive? Was it a Langstroth box up on the top of the building? Or was it an actual like feral colony living inside the wall or the structure or something up on the roof. Like they don't explain that. Right. Mm, yeah. And then they talk about like all this mass hysteria and 40,000 bees stinging people. Well, if 40,000 bees were stinging people, person number one would have had hundreds of stings, not 17. Yeah. There might've been 40,000 bees in that colony. There could have been maybe a thousand bees flying around stinging people, but they were also four stories in the air. So what the hell pissed them off to the point that they came four stories down and started stinging the public? Like it, it's hard to say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the fact that they immediately called them Africanized. Well, again, if they truly were Africanized bees, I hate to tell you this, but those stings would have been in the hundreds again. You would have been pulling hundreds of stingers out of you, not 17, a normal colony that gets really pissed off because you hit it or you did something to it, or you tried to spray it is going to get mad. They're going to react and they're going to sting the hell Mm -hmm. out of people. Africanized bees are going to sting you even more because they're more aggressive at that aspect. And you're not going to be able to truly say if they were Africanized unless you take those bees in, send them in for genetic testing Mm -hmm. and dissect them and measure the segments. So this is sensationalism at its best. And I'm not trying to to discount, you know, the fact that this stuff can happen because it absolutely can. What I'm trying to say is that you can't believe everything that you hear on the news because the news these days is more about making money than it is about literally telling the news. Yep. And scare tactics, that is that's one of the best ways to really just hype everybody up and, and get all this stuff going. So back to the news feed, my news feed on my phone. This is what I ran across whenever I was looking at stuff yesterday evening. Um, massive 70 pound beehive found under man's shed. And I believe it's in California as well. Uh, so that was number one there. And then, um, there's three more. That one was from NBC news Two. There is three more in the same feed that are all from different news agencies doing live video of this. And then as I scroll down through there, California homeowner finds nearly 150,000 bees in his backyard and they show a picture of that same shed. So I go in and I watch the video and in the video, they cut out a section of the floor, they flip it over and there is, I mean, from the looks of the video, it's going to be really hard to say, right? But I guarantee you the comb is no more than like seven inches max 
from where it's attached to where it's hanging down because it's under the shed. That's 150,000 bees? No. I know it ain't, but... Right, well, that's the whole point right <laughs> yeah. there. Like, Ken, at the maximum, how many bees live in a colony? Are we talking a colony... It doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter what they're uh -huh. in. Okay, so max, I would say... 45, 60,000. 60,000. That's absolutely correct. The, the closest that they've ever found was nearly 90,000 bees, and that was an extremely rare circumstance. And that colony actually had two queens working in two separate areas because wow. it was so big. Mm -hmm. But a single colony, and, and I watched this video, and when I watched it, I was, I was so annoyed because we do easily – 50 of these types of removals every single year through the removal company bees under your shed. You go in there, you do a uh, thermal of the shed, you flip it over. You may end up with a three foot by two foot section that is solid comb. Mm -hmm. But that comb again is only like six inches down from the top, only hanging down six inches. Yeah. So it's a lot of little narrow comb that's everywhere. And you flip that over and they said it weighed nearly 70 pounds. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because let's think about it. It's full of honey. One box of honey can weigh anywhere from 40 to 60 or 70 pounds. Yeah, it's eight frame so, yeah. or 10 frame. Or yeah. So if it's full of honey, absolutely it can weigh up to 70 pounds. Not going to discredit that at all. Hmm? 150,000 bees is bull****. There's yeah. not 150,000 bees in one single no. colony anywhere. And no. they touted the fact that they were so happy because multiple experts confirmed bull****. Whoever you're talking to that says they're an expert is full of it because there are not 150,000 bees in any colony, period. It just doesn't happen. There's a couple of cops that, yeah, that's 150,000 bees. It's hard to do. What did you? Oh, yes, I'm, I'm a policeman. Yeah, I yeah. I think there's 150,000 bees in but there. But he's an expert. Yeah. So, you know, it just, <laughs> it drove me crazy because not only... Did it show up in my newsfeed once? It ended up showing up a total of seven times. It just scares people. All the way down through there. Yeah. Four separate news organizations, legitimate news organizations. And it's like, okay, so it was apparently a slow news day. Everybody has then oh, shared this footage and this media, and they're doing all this other stuff. Um, it just, oh, man, I tell you. Well, so, and then we, then we got what uh, Chico come in was saying about, and this is, this would probably be right. Well, yours, no, the Chico's thing that yeah, he, where he talked about this hives. morning, that was real news. Yeah. And, you know, that is, that's legit. Um, we talked about it on one of our previous episodes yes, on how during this time of year, hive theft is a mm -hmm. real thing. And it really, really is crucial over in areas like California where they're doing the almond pollination. Yes. You've got hundreds and hundreds of hives out there. If not millions. Yeah. Well, in one section. Yeah. Um, You've got hundreds and hundreds of hives out there in, in each little strip of section, and each beekeeper owns hundreds and hundreds of hives out there, but you've got contracts that you've got to meet and fulfill. And if if you were short on those contracts, well, if you're, you know, a despicable person, you can go out there and you can get your truck and get steal your some hives. And here we go. We're going right. to go fill that. And, and that's exactly what's happening because the way that, you know, hundreds of hives get stolen in one night is not one person picking them up a box at a time and loading them on a trailer. No. It is a forklift picking up pallets at a time and putting them on the back of a flatbed and then taking off. And, you know, there's so much going on out there. You've got so many different people involved. It, it may not even look out of place to see a semi truck pulled over and somebody loading well, or unloading no, bees at this be. time of year that in that area. Be. So yeah. nobody even questions it. And then all the hives are gone. But so that's that's legitimate news. And doing it in the middle of the night, that's when you move bees. Yeah, exactly. They're home. They're they're everybody's ah dang it, everybody's home and it's all good to go. Yeah. Um so the last little thing here 
that I wanted to go through and touch on. I'm going to have to pull it back up here really quick because I had it on my phone and then it disappeared. So this is from Two Hives. This is from Tara. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is something that Tara had posted on her Instagram. And I am totally going to steal it because she's absolutely correct. And, you know, while we're on these soapbox slash brood box uh, tangents Mm -hmm. and rants here about the news. So Tara had posted recently and and Tara, you guys should know her from the show. We've had her on multiple times here. She's two hives, honey, here in Austin. Um, She put this post out there and it's actually it's great. And it's a very good PSA announcement that people need to understand that goes back along with all this misinformation. So she says, guys and gals, we need to talk about the hashtag save the bees for a minute. We need to talk about the fact that there are an extraordinary number of companies out there And some of them are using this weak sauce marketing campaign, throwing the hashtag save the bees on and then tricking you into thinking that buying their T-shirt, mug, toy or whatever they happen to be selling is literally hashtag saving the bees. I get that these guys oh, I get these guys popping into my email, my DMs and online all the time asking me to help peddle their products and become a supporter or sponsor so that we can all hashtag save the bees. I turn around and my first question to them is always awesome. Tell me what percentage of each cell is going to an organization that is helping and what that organization is. And then she goes on to say, I have never, and I mean never, received a single response back. It's deceptive deceptive marketing at its finest, and they're using your want to do great things to trick you into simply shelling out your dollars to their company. That's right. Send them money. Um, She said... She goes on to say, but if you do want to help out and you want to help bees, it's super easy. This is what you can do. Number one, don't use pesticides in your yard. Number two, let the wild things grow. Yes, even dandelions. Number three, don't shop for plants at big box stores. They have been sprayed with toxic pesticides. Number four, teach your friends that bees are not scary. They just want to share your margarita. Number five, (laughs) and you want to know the best thing you can do. Find a local food producer, beekeeper, farmer, rancher, etc. Ask them questions. Find out about their practices and their policies and their their processes. If they treat their animals with respect, understand that dousing everything with pesticides is not the silver bullet cure. Care about the health of the soil, water conservation, producing quality products that won't harm or do more harm to the earth than good. Then give those people your money. Those are the ones you want to support take home their products because they're damn good products and it's just simply as easy as that give them the money instead of some fly-by-night t-shirt company that you see in some instagram ad it's cheap it's gonna fall apart in the wash and it does not actually go to save the bees support your local ranchers farmers beekeepers and thank them for what they do because this shit's hard y'all <laughs> yeah, like and that that, that yeah. is all from tara chapman from two hives honey that whole post right there was from her and i just wanted to i i did my own version of a retweet or a repost but we did it on the air for everybody to go through and hear and uh it is it is seriously she is so true and i get that stuff all the time as well we get it here on the show oh, yeah. they're always going oh my god amazing post you should totally be a brand rep for us and you can give out these bracelets mm-hmm. and it's hashtag save the bees and we're gonna do all this stuff now there there are some legitimate companies that started off doing that, but everybody else jumped on the bandwagon and it's like, buy this bracelet, buy this thing, buy this t-shirt and it's got a bee emblem on it. And they're telling you that, you know, by doing this, your proceeds are going to go to help save the bees. And as Tara pointed out, none of your proceeds are going to help save the bees. They're going straight into somebody's pocket that uh-huh. is riding the wave and the, the fear help of food. beers need yeah. the, the beers. I just said beers. The bees need help. 
Be, beers need help. The beers need heads. Too early for the beer. Beers need the beers. No, the beer, beer drinker. The, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's enough. I will climb off of the brood boxes and soap box. No, no, no. Before you get off brood box. Well, you we, can climb on one. <laughs> nah, we just need, if you want to help bees, there's so many that you can look at in Australia. Yeah, right now, if you want to help bees and beekeepers, Go in and find our post on Instagram where we gave all the different links to the support agencies that are going on in Australia that help the animals, help the beekeepers, help the wildlife. Go do that. Those people really do need need the help and they need the money. That way they can go through and they can turn it into whatever they need. Don't don't send them physical items. Send them cash because the cash goes and translates over into I need Bees. I need hive boxes. I need tools. I need suits. Yeah, I need whatever. We can't send any of the used our used stuff. Down yeah, there. you can never send used no, stuff. You should no, never send no. used stuff because you could accidentally transmit diseases. And as we found out from having Miss Catherine in the studio with us last week, uh, apparently importing anything into the country is extremely challenging. I bet it is because they have their own unique, diverse ecosystem there, and they don't want anything to disrupt that. So it's it's very, very, very challenging to get things in there. Um, and but also though. That's one of the reasons Australia is the only country that doesn't have the varroa mite because uh, they're so strict. The only thing I got to throw in here before we get oh, away. Oh, we have. Hang on. I know oh, you got lots of stuff. No, I got to. I got to show you a video. Go ahead. Okay, I want to tell Brett. Okay, Brett. <laughs> What's up, Brett? What kind? What What kind of honey is that that she brought in here? Jum jum jum. <laughs> Jabara, Jamara, Jamara Bara, Urban Honey, Jerabambara, Jerabambara, Jerabambara. Brett, we need gallons of it. Gallons. Well, I mean, if you want gallons, you can get that from her because Brett's not necessarily here. <laughs> Brett's not that point for the country, right? And that's yeah. that is a that's a suburb, oh, you know. So Jerabambara is oh, a, a suburb, man. but hey, that tastes like caramel. That was caramel honey. <laughs> I mean, wow. That's all I say. Okay, I'll shut up now. No, you're fine. I am trying to find a video for you that I told our listener. There we go. All right. So I will cut out the silence here, but we are going to go in. I'm going to let Ken watch this video, and then we're going to have a little chat about it. So a snake. What Ken is watching right now is a video sent to us from a listener in Australia. It That's is a, a snake. snake and a big spider. Yeah, it's a snake caught in a spider web, and the snake is trying to slither away, but it's not going anywhere. And there is a giant black spider that is coming down the web yeah. slowly, and it gets down and it bites the snake. And the the caption that whenever they sent it over to us, um, when he sent it over, he was like, hey, our spiders are really kind of friendly down here. And I went through and I watched it and uh, I told him right off the bat, I said, that looks like a widow, like a widow spider. And he goes, oh, no, no, we call them redbacks. And uh, I went in and I looked it up and a, a redback is actually a widow spider. It is in the same family of widows. So here in the United States. You know, all of our listeners here should know this. We have a spider called the black widow spider and uh, the widow spiders are really kind of eerie and creepy looking. They've got these long, smooth, shiny, sharp legs that are big and, and kind of strong, but they're shiny and sharp. And then they've got this huge bulbous abdomen that makes this round, big, shiny black butt to them. And on the black widow on the bottom hover, she's got a red hourglass yeah. and she's the black widow mm-hmm. because she is deadly. She can actually kill people um, depending on your age and your size and all that fun 
and stuff. So we have that spider. That spider, luckily for us, lives in... Only in Australia, I hope. No, no, no. The Black Widow spider. Our Black oh, Widow yeah, spider. Our Black Widow lives there. She lives here, and she likes to be in dark, damp kind of places, underneath wood piles, underneath manhole underneath covers. Underneath your brood box. In, possibly. Yeah. yeah, possibly underneath your pallet that your brood box is on. Mm-hmm. But we kind of know where she's going to be. She doesn't really show up in your home. Mm-hmm. Now, this little booger is a cousin of the Black Widow spider, and it has the same characteristics, only it's larger. Big. It's still got an orange hourglass on its ab- underside of the abdomen, and then it's yeah. got that red stripe across its back indicating, hey, I'm, I'm bad news, right? Mm-hmm. But it likes to be... In people's homes. This is where it's found, is in people's homes, wow. in their garages, in their sheds, in their houses. It really likes these man-made structures. It's big, it's deadly, and it likes to eat snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to add that to our ever-growing list of why you shouldn't live in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this this uh, this was actually sent over to us by Daniel. Um, so thank you for shooting that over to us, Daniel. That yeah, was actually very awesome. And uh, Daniel, what is this? Hang on. Oh. I didn't see this at the bottom. What does it say? Daniel, is it the time to see if I'm allergic to bees or not? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Daniel, you're, you're being played on the radio now. There are a lot of bees out there. That's a lot of bees. So what you're hearing is the the door of his truck dinging. Yeah. Um, but that was Daniel's voice at the very beginning saying that uh, it's a good time to see if he's allergic to bees or not. Um, those are not his beehives, I would say, from the the sound of the end of that video. But he had pulled up near, and it, we're talking hundreds of boxes of, of hives out there. Um, here, Ken. He says, uh, so there's there's hundreds of beehives out there. There's bees flying everywhere. And Daniel says, well, I guess it's a good time to see if I'm allergic to bees or not. <laughs> so, uh, ding, 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 ding. They do like we do. They only have one meat, one brew box on a bottle. And then they got then they got honey supers on top. Wow. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, Daniel, for sending that yeah, in to us. That's, uh, that's very cool. Much appreciated, sir. Okay. Now then, <laughs> let's see what else we actually have. So, uh, should we really talk about the things we're supposed to talk about today? <laughs> well, we went and looked at my bees. Oh, well, that's a whole nother, yeah. Okay. Well, this episode could go on for hours. Um, I promise we will get to the main segment. Yeah. But yes, we did check your bees, Ken. Yeah. Well, I checked Ken's checked bees. checked them and I watched. Ken said in the truck. My son, my son. Yeah, Max was out there yeah. with me. Um, Ken said in the truck. And it was really funny because, you know, at that time he, he had already sick. had the one surgery. He had yeah. just gotten out. He was still in recovery. He still had some some uh, complications that he had to be very careful with there for that that specific day because it was literally the day after he got out of the yeah, hospital. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. But he was sitting in his truck with the windows rolled up. And that's what I was giving him grief and about. Still coming over and I, I would tell him, I was like, why are you rolling your windows up, Ken? Are you afraid? Roll your I window know, down. I finally figured it out. Because <laughs> I have the swarm the swarm lure in my truck. Well, that's your own damn fault. <laughs> that's I don't know, I don't know why the... all the bees want to come in my truck. Yeah, I just have this swarm lure, lure in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, that's funny. But So, yeah, we were, we were giving him grief. But we did check your colonies. And um, so, good news, bad news. The good news is that all of the colonies, except for two, were doing doing fantastic mm-hmm. they were all doing really well we did find a couple of them that needed some extra food and you went through and uh, you gave them the extra yeah. food that they needed and we're going to talk about some food things in the main segment so we'll we'll use this to bridge over to that in just a second 
But you did have two colonies that were not doing so good. Mm-hmm. And surprise, surprise, did you bring guys. Your stuff? Oh, crap. No. Did you text me? No. Uh-huh. So, dang it. I'll text um, you tomorrow. Well, are you coming in tomorrow? No. Oh, we're not doing another show. Okay. No. no. Well, it depends on <laughs> it depends on how long today goes. If we do another show tomorrow or not, um, I tell you what. But like my my place is on the way to your place. So okay. when we leave, we can just go by there and you can yeah, get it. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, the <laughs> yeah, I lost train of thought there. Oh, we, so you did have two hives that were not doing that great. Mm-hmm. And uh, surprise, surprise, those two hives are two of the hives that last year were not doing that great. Both of them were feral. Well. Yeah, both of them. Because the trailer well, hive was feral and the other one was a, well, they uh, cut out. Yeah, but the remember, remember what happened to the trailer hive. So originally. They're the ones that built their own queen. They, they, they are. Originally, you had the, the first two Langstroth nukes that you had purchased. Mm-hmm. Those were the two that had the mite issues, yeah, they and did. we treated them. One of them straight up died. The other one was very small and barely hanging on by the end of the fall, mm-hmm. and we took that colony and the trailer hive colony, which was also we struggling, together. and we combined them together. Now, what we found is that the trailer hive, like, it was doing some screwy stuff, and they were trying to raise a queen and everything, and then it looked like they got one going. Mm-hmm. So we we got rid of the other queen. We merged these hives together, and I'll be darned if here at the very end of winter, beginning of spring, that stupid hive looks exactly like it did almost before we went and combined it together. Mm-hmm. Extremely spotty brood pattern. She's trying, but... It's very obvious that there's either a genetic issue and the bees are purposely removing some of those those larvae before they can actually get old enough or there's still a mite issue or there is a disease in there, something because they they're all over the place. You'll have one capped cell, then you'll have an egg beside it, then you have a medium aged larva beside that, then you have a, a brand new larva beside that, and then you got another capped cell. Like it, it is all over the place. And that's not it's not spotty because the queen is laying spotty. It's spotty because she goes through and lays all at once. And then the workers are coming back and they're saying this one's infected. This one's genetically not right. This one's got this and they're removing them. And then she comes back through because she's trying to keep a very small brood area and she lays again. So you get all these different ages in there. But yeah, um, I I told Ken, I said, well, here's the deal. Don't beat yourself up if it doesn't make it, because I don't know. I highly doubt that it's going to make it to spring. I think it's going to poop out before we get a chance to do anything. And we're going to treat which we're going to talk about in the main segment, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to treat here this week. And so that that also could be the final nail in the coffin for them because the the treatment's going to be kind of strong. And, you know, it's just I, I'm, I'm just kind of like the commonality is that colony. Those colonies had issues to begin with. We merged them together. If it was a disease that was in the comb or in some of those other bees, mm-hmm. it is now merged over in with that other colony that we merged it with, mm-hmm. and it, it's caused some issues. So there will be some things we're going to have to look out there. And um, also, Ken flooded a top bar hive. Yeah. I mean, straight up flooded well, did, a but, top bar. Well, yeah. I mean, Ken did. Ken took a garden hose out there and just filled that yeah. sucker. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, so there was one hive you guys may remember. We went through and we mentioned that he had one of his top bar hives that the storm had caught the the corrugated aluminum or metal top mm-hmm. and twisted it and pulled Somehow the top part way off. One, one bar yeah, out about and it, an inch. It knocked one bar kind of out and down so that you could actually see inside the colony. And what we didn't know is that during that storm, several inches of water 
got inside the colony. Well, when Ken noticed that the lid was all askew and it was also cold out and I told him, you know, like, let's not disrupt anybody or disturb them. He went out. He put the bar back in place, put Mm -hmm. the lid back in place Mm -hmm. and we called it good. Never opened it up. Well, um, went out there and I opened it up and I looked down inside there and uh, we've got some videos of this that we'll post. But I looked inside there and my very first thought was, what the hell did you do? Like lacquer the bottom of the hive? Because it was (laughs) shiny. It was like glass. And but there were bees in the glass. And I was like, that's really strange. And then it dawned on me. Oh, my God, that's water. And unfortunately, but fortunately, so unfortunately, your hives are supposed to be level. And in this case, the ground in the hive had settled just slightly on one end. And it happened to be the opposite end from where the comb was. Mm -hmm. So this is the fortunate aspect of the unfortunate. Didn't flood the comb. All of the water had kind of pulled towards the left side of the hive that was lower. So on the left side, you've got three inches of water. Mm -hmm. On the right side, you have half an inch. Mm -hmm. And conveniently, as it got shallower, it went underneath the comb. All of those bees were still alive. They still had food stores. They were raising brood. They were doing great. Everything was good. Any of the bees that had died had fallen down in the water and then floated down to the right side of the colony, and it smelled putrid. But... We tried to drill some holes in the back of it. We wanted them to be small enough that a hive beetle couldn't get through there, and they kept clogging back up immediately. So I took all of the comb on the top bars out, flipped them upside down, and set them on top of another hive temporarily. It was about 80 degrees that day, so it was nice and warm. Mm -hmm. And then Max flipped the hive over, dumped all the water out. We scrubbed it it down. We dried it out, and then we put it all back together and got it all set back up. So um, it was actually... I mean, it's kind of a testament to how resilient bees can truly be and how adaptive they can be when they need to, because they did great. They survived and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of the that was that was our crazy. Uh, <laughs> and the best part is when they got up on top of the hive and all of them got and they interlocked their little legs together and they were kicking and singing. Oh, happy days. <laughs> oh, happy day. <laughs> It was, uh, I've got some photos of it. We did some videos and everything. It looks, it's actually really cool. And actually one of those pictures that I took is quite possibly my favorite beekeeping picture I think I've ever taken because you've got, you can't tell what it is, but it's on top of the other top bar hive and it's on top of that corrugated metal top. And you've got a smoker just behind the comb and you've got all this comb upside down with all the bees on it and it's all alive and well. The land out there is this lush emerald green as all the new grass is coming in. And there's this thicket of trees that are just barely starting to bud out. And then in the background, you can see multiple Langstroth hives setting off in the distance. So you've got in the foreground this comb and the bees. And then you've got the smoker lit so just behind them. So you're going to send that to Tara. I ain't sending that to Tara. Says it Tara because she likes that kind of stuff. Yeah, she likes that stuff, but she can't have it. It's mine. <laughs> I'll post it on Facebook and she can like it or post it on Instagram and she can like it. That's all she's going to get from it. Um, but anyhow, I mean, it, it was it was it's when I took it, like after I took it, I showed Max. I was like, dude, that is an awesome picture. I know. Why do you have eggs in here? They're boiled. Don't want- no, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to tell you they're boiled, though, but I saw that sitting there and I was like, that is an egg. And not only is it an egg, it's an egg sitting on top of a toilet paper <laughs> tube. <laughs> Because why not? In the studio, we do weird things, and toilet paper apparently plays a role in all of it. Toilet Um, paper's our napkin. It's our napkin. It's our plate. Um, Well, looky here. We do actually have a roll of paper towels. I brought that in. uh, Finally, again. Um, Okay, so enough enough delay. Much ado about nothing here, guys. (laughs) So Eric's sitting there. What the hell are y'all doing in there? (laughs) 
40 minutes of nothing. <laughs> Eric's like, thanks, guys. This is this is what I love to do with my Saturday morning because I, you know, have nothing better to do. <laughs> Not true. Okay. So, uh, all right. So the main segment. Here we go. Are you ready, Ken? You ready for this? Yes, let's do it. Number one. And this is something that we we just did some of these and we're getting ready to do the others. So the very first thing on your checklist that you need to be doing right now is check your food stores. Yeah. This is a very crucial time of the year for the bees. They've spent all winter going through and trying to kind of manage that that we need a little bit of food to create a little bit of energy to stay warm so that we don't die. But now those warmer days are going to be increasing and you've got areas that are already having 60 degree days. You've got other areas like us where mm-hmm. we had a freaking 80 degree day the other day. So yeah. it's slowly increasing. It's slowly getting warmer, which mm-hmm. means your bees are going to be more active. And when they're more active, they use more energy when they're flying. Flight and foraging is the most energy intensive activity the bee can do. And so when that starts happening, they just, they're going to start using more energy. Also, their food stores are getting smaller and smaller because they have been using them all winter long. Now, this part here is where it gets really tricky because if the bees start raising brood, you've got a double-edged sword here. One thing is going to cause a lot of energy consumption, and that's the flight. But then when it gets cold, they'll hunker back down, and all they have to do is maintain that minimum temperature range, right? Mm -hmm. Just enough to stay warm and stay good. Mm -hmm. But if there's brood involved and they've started raising brood, that brood has to stay very warm. And if they're staying very warm, that is a huge energy concern because they have to increase the energy even more. Plus, they've got to feed the brood. So they're actually using double the energy that they would have even just to try to keep it that warm. So that is why you can have a colony that looks like they're doing great and say they've got, you know, one solid frame of capped food and, and you're like, oh, they're perfectly fine. And then you have three simple days of cold weather or rainy weather where they can't get out of the colony, but they still got to feed the babies and nothing else is coming in. And that weather ends and you go out there and you find that they have starved to death because they ate themselves out of house and home in a matter of days. So this is very important. Now, the other thing you need to consider with this is, are you going to feed solid sugar or are you going to feed liquid sugar? If or you're, slurry. Well, that, that would be a solid. Liquid. Okay. Yeah, that'd be okay, a solid. solid. So, the, the reason for that is because you're actually, you have to decide where you're at. You don't want to start feeding liquid unless two things. Number one, just like when we were coming into winter and I said you have to stop feeding the liquid syrup when average temperatures are 60 or below, mm-hmm. right? You don't feed it then. Mm-hmm. Same thing coming into the spring. You've got to look at your average temperatures. And if your average temperatures are still below 60 degrees, do not feed liquid. The other reason not to feed liquid is because once you start feeding liquid, it signals to the bees that there is a nectar flow, even though there's not. They are absolutely going to ramp up brood production. And if you feed them and then you stop, they will starve because they've drastically increased the amount of mouths that they've got to feed. So if you start feeding liquid syrup, you cannot stop. You will have to keep feeding every single week until there is enough natural nectar out there to support your colony. Now, Keep that in mind. That is very important. If you are not to that point yet, it is still cold. You still have temperatures where there are only 40s and 50s max. Feed a solid sugar feed. It can be like Ken mentioned just a minute ago, a slurry. And what he did, I, I took some videos of this. I think it's going to, I think it's going on my uh, Wicked Bee Apiary 
Instagram post is where that one's at. But um, Ken's stuff will be on the Hive Jive post. We'll put that out there later today. Or um, Actually, by the time you guys see it, it'll already be out there. So anyhow, but the uh, the slurry was basically finely ground almost to a powder form, finely ground sugar that we added just enough water to that when you stir it up, it's it's a little bit wetter than uh, damp sand. So it's a little bit wetter than that so that when you rake something through it, it actually leaves a groove and then it very slowly fills back in. So it's solid enough the bees can stand on it, but moist enough that they can lick all of it and, and absorb that sugar. So that's one thing. We also had, you guys have that other episode out there that we talked about feeding solid sugars. And uh, for the Patreon members, you guys have an in-depth hive uh, deeper dive episode that talks about how to make those solid feed sugars. So um, sugar bricks, sugar fondant, sugar camps, which is literally just the sugar mounded up and then misted with a little bit of water. All of those things are your choices to be feeding even now coming out of winter into spring if you don't want to encourage or simulate an artificial nectar flow. Because again, once you start feeding liquid, you got to keep feeding. So Ken and I, when we checked his colonies and we deemed a few of them needed fed, and even for myself, when I checked my colonies and deemed a few of them needed fed, we fed the sugar slurry kind of solution because we want them to be able to feed the bees and feed the brood that are currently there. But we don't want to encourage them to feed, to raise even more bees just yet. I literally just want to wait like a week Maybe two. We just need to make it into the beginning of March, and then we're, we're pretty much going to be golden here for us. Now, for some of you other guys, that may be the beginning of April. So just follow the weather, plan ahead. Now, planning ahead is a big thing for spring management. You need to always be looking at the 10-day forecast, and you need to know bee math, and you need to know a lot of other things because... You have to plan ahead and you have to know what's going to happen and when. And we will be talking about things like splitting your colonies. We will be talking about things like raising queens or getting them to raise a queen, like an emergency queen. When to do that, how to do that. All of those topics will be coming down the road. We are purposefully stretching that out, though, because just like last season, we want to be able to deliver the crucial information to you guys when it is actually relevant to the timing of the season. So we don't want to tell you three months in advance and then have you either forget before it gets there or do it way too early. We would rather tell you, you know, like coming up just a few weeks out type thing so that it's fresh and relevant on your mind. So those things are coming down the line. Now, the next big item on your checklist is, see, that's why I said no, because I have to talk. And if I put a full egg in my mouth, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Ken, this is the opposite. Usually um, Ken sets me up to where he waits till I take a bite and then he asks me a question. But right now he's trying to eat a, a boiled egg <laughs> and he's grinning. He's grinning while I look at him. Um, OK, so the, the second thing is actually what you just brought up to me about asking me if I brought something in. Your second big thing is you need to do your mic checks. Mm -hmm. You got to go in there and you got to do a mic count. And if, and I capitalized and I underlined and I put quotes around, if your bees need treated, then you treat. So you don't want to necessarily go out there and just treat them to treat them, okay? It's stressful on the bees. It's harsh on the bees. It doesn't matter even if it's a natural or organic substance. It is still a stressful event for the bees. So if your bees do not have a lot of mites or don't have any mites and you're not above that threshold of like 1%, then do not treat them if they do not need it. But you need to go out there right now and you need on your warmer days when you can get in the colony without causing any heartache, 
get in there at the very least, do the sugar shake test and figure out if there's a lot of mites in the colony. If there are, now is the best time to treat it. Now, Ken and I are going to be using the formic acid and formic acid can be found on the market as Mitoway Quick Strips, which is called Max and it's M-A-Q-S or as formic pro. And what they are is a thick gel type pad that is wrapped in like a parchment paper and you stick those pads into the colony and it off gases. Now the best thing about it is that, well, there's two best things about it. One, formic acid is naturally occurring inside honey and lots of insects like ants naturally make formic acid. So this is the most natural thing that the bees are going to understand in there. Now it is still harsh and it can still burn your nose and your eyes and things like that with the fumes of it. And that's how it treats things is by off gassing. Um, the other great thing about it is that it is the only treatment we currently have to date that will kill the mites on the bees as well as the mites under the cappings. Now, depending on your temperatures, this is the downside. It cannot be used. It shouldn't be used if the temperatures are below 50 degrees on, on a seven day stretch. And it should not be used if the temperatures are above 85 degrees on a seven day stretch. That's going to be below 50 because we're getting cool at night. No, no, no. Daytime night. Okay, daytime. It's just okay. the daytime highs. Okay. Your average daytime temperatures for a seven-day stretch mm -hmm. is what you have to take into consideration. Okay. So the nighttime temperatures, it might still get down to 40. It might still get down to 50. Mm -hmm. You're okay there. Um, but so you're going to go through. You're going to do your mite check. Then once you've done the mite check, if you find that by the guidelines and rules set forth on how many percentages of mites can be in there, that that colony is at the threshold or above and needs treated, then you need to treat. And treating now, early, early, like late winter, early, early spring is the best time to do this for the first of the year because that's going to give you the cleanest slate and the healthiest colony moving into that brood rearing season. That's going to be your forecoming honey okay. foraging force. So you want them to be strong and healthy. Mm -hmm. Now, for those of you out there, we get a lot of questions about this and we will be absolutely doing very in-depth mite episodes will be coming along here in this second season and they will be coming along here sooner rather than later. And we're going to kind of spread them out. I wanted to do one whole month of them, but we did a poll on Patreon and uh, the consensus was basically that we would actually go through and probably be better to, you know, like do one episode and then spread out a few and then do another so that some people like our fans in Australia who don't have mites are not feeling like they have an entire month where they're listening to something that doesn't apply. So, yeah. Um, but we will have mite episodes coming up, but for those of you right now who are like, how do we do that? What do we know? How do we know it? You know, where do we find this info? You need to get on Google and do a Google search for Varroa management guide or honeybee health coalition. The Varroa management guide produced by the honeybee health coalition is the foremost, most inclusive knowledgeable resource you guys can have. It is the most important thing to have at your fingertips. It tells you every type of treatment that is on the market, how to use the treatment, how effective the treatment is, when to use it, when not to use it. It even gives you scenarios. If you're in this area and your temperatures are this and the bees are in this stage of growing, then you need to use this product. So it is an amazing and invaluable resource. Go out there. Varroa Management Guide, Honey Bee Health Coalition. You guys need to find that. And that is going to be the biggest thing you can do. Now then, mm -hmm. we are going to, we have a little, oh, this is funny. Hang on. Hang on. What is this? Oh, no. <laughs> this just in. Um, previous. 
<laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to read you a response and then I'm going to go back and read you the actual email. Um, all right. So we're going to do a couple of listener questions here because they did fall in line with some of the topics we're going to talk about today. But the very first listener question, uh, we're going to we're going to read a second response that was just given to me here. This is from Aaron and uh, Aaron had sent in a listener question. But I'm going to preface the beginning of the listener question with um, his follow up to it. He says, sorry, my selective hearing kicked in. I was re-listening to one of the other listener question episodes and John did talk about switching boxes. So I hope he doesn't think less of me for still needing that little extra quote unquote, here's how and when to do it. Um, so, oh, and then he also says, Aaron also says, please give my regards to Ken and, and give him hopes of a speedy recovery. So Aaron would like good, to yeah. wish you on uh, the best on the way there. So, um, Aaron, no worries, sir. It is all good. A lot of this information does get out there in the listener question episodes, and, you know, we don't necessarily break down everything that's in those episodes on like the detail of the, the episode. So it, it can be surprise information found in there. But right now on his main question, this is what he had actually sent in. He says, John, Ken or other monitors of email. I am getting into my third year of beekeeping and I've listened to the show time and time again, waiting for the answer to some specific questions and you've come close, but so far no cigar on the subject of supering versus nadiring. You actually got close, but then got off on talking about splits. Um, so on swarm mitigation, I've talked to my bee club and they have pretty much the same conclusion that coming out of winter, you need to swap or reverse your boxes since the bees in a managed Langstroth box will likely be in the top box coming out of winter. My question, I guess, is that if coming out of winter, the bees are in the top box, what will happen if you just leave them there? If the bottom box is empty, I would predict that they would just simply move back down. I'm really wanting a honey harvest this year and not interested in growing past my four box standard. Last year, my best colony swarmed on me in March, even with plenty of room to grow. They were a double deep with half drawn third on top. This setup was only because we combined two of the hives getting ready to go into winter. Any help that you could give me would be greatly appreciated. After talking to my Cup president, he suggested always swapping the boxes to help with swarm management and also help with other management aspects. Thank you in advance so much. All right, now, here's the deal. So swapping boxes, here's the deal, rotating boxes. So the concept is you've got two boxes out there. Right, we already did this on one of them. We did, yes. You've got two boxes out there. Oh, you did. In the summer, they've pulled all the food in, they've mm -hmm. capped it all up, and they've put it above their head. Mm -hmm. Forced the bees down into the bottom box. Mm -hmm. For the winter, the bees are slowly, gradually eating and moving up mm -hmm. until eventually they're all in the top box and the bottom box is empty. The concept of switching it is to take those bees... And move them, you take the top box and you flip it and you put it on the bottom and then you put the bottom box on the top. Mm -hmm. By doing so, you have now put a ton of empty space above the bees' heads, mm -hmm. which then makes them feel like there's a lot of room. Because above their head is usually where they store their food. Keeps them from swarming. Well, it can. Because now they've got all this open space, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they don't really like emptiness above them. If there's a ton of emptiness above them, then... That means there's plenty of room in the pantry mm -hmm. that they can go through and, and, and do what they need to do with. So it does help mitigate swarming because you've given them a ton of empty comb above their head. You've invalidated their normal setup of things. 
And that's why it's a management technique. Now, some of the aspects of this, though, that you guys need to keep in mind is that you can only switch and rotate your boxes if all of the bees and all of the brood are in the top box. If not, if you do an inspection and you find that your brood nest is bridged between the top and the bottom box where it's kind of half and half, you cannot switch it. Do not break up that brood nest and separate it and make it cattywampus because that's going to be a bad thing. So only if all the bees are in the top box do you go through and switch that. If you happen to be coming out of winter and you do have your bees and they're actually in the bottom box and the top box above them is still almost completely full of honey, that is going to be a setup for guaranteed early swarming because the bees only have the bottom box and whatever space they have that is open to lay babies and brood. The top box is already full of food. And so therefore, once they fill that bottom box up with brood, they're immediately going to go into swarm mode because they're going to say, I have tons of food above me. All of our cells are occupied with brood or food and we're out of space. So we need to go ahead and start preparing to swarm. And that is something that it can be beneficial depending on what you're wanting to do. But if that's not what you want to do and you find that coming out of winter, that top box is still full of food, you can still reverse those boxes. But then what you need to do is get an empty box with if you have drawn comb, that is absolutely the best because it's er Yeah, Ken raised his hand. Um, if you have drawn comb from previous seasons and you've got it stored, when you reverse that, you're going to take the box full of honey, put it on the very bottom. Take the box full of bees, put it in the middle. Take the box of empty drawn comb and put it on the top. Now you have again invalidated that space above their head. There's a lot of empty room up there and they have already drawn comb that they can go and start immediately utilizing. The reason that it works best if you have drawn comb is because bees do not see empty foundation as space. It is null and void. They only see empty drawn comb as available space. Make sense? Yeah. So that way they will actually move into it and start using it. Now, if you're artificially feeding them and they've got a lot of young bees and they you can keep them on track of building, then you can keep them from swarming. But that means they've got to be building out that new comb constantly. And just adding an empty box to the top of it does not mean they're going to build comb just because there's a void up there. They may not do that. They may wait until a little bit later when it's a little bit warmer. It really just depends because they have their own kind of ideas and, and processes there. So uh, but that is the 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 very nuts and bolts slim tip pickings there on rotating your boxes. Um Again, one of the things that, that I mentioned just a little bit ago, the key to spring management is keeping up with the rapidly expanding colony. You have to stay ahead of that curve. You need to keep adding boxes and adding frames as the bees are drawing them out, stay in just ahead of what they're going to need so that they continue to work and they continue to stay busy. If you continue them drawing out comb and you can keep them in that process, they're using all of those extra resources to build wax instead of to make royal jelly. If they start making lots of royal jelly, that's going to be swarm season right off the bat. Yep. Now, if you're wanting to split your hives coming into the next year, maybe don't add a box because if you want to split them and you're not going to order a queen, you want to raise your own queens or let them raise their own queens, then you can leave them in the smaller setup, the smaller box, let them get to that crowded filling where they're going to start their swarm procedures. They're going to make swarm cells for you. Then you can do your splits out of that box. You've already got queen cells there. You make sure that each of the splits gets at least two of the queen cells, and then you divide that out. So it can actually be used to your advantage by not adding a box 
to encourage swarming, but you have to stay again, stay on top of it because you want to watch for the signs. You want to catch it ahead of time and then do your splits so that you don't end up losing the colony because it swarms when you're not paying attention. And you also don't want a queen to hatch and kill all the other queens if you wanted to make multiple boxes with them. So there there is advantages, pros and cons to each way. But it goes back to our first episode on our first checklist. What do you want to do with your bees? Do you want to grow your colonies or and, and have a honey harvest? Or do you want to expand your colonies and have more bees? So kind of go through and consider those things. Or do you want to go eat coffee? Is that your, that's, that's Ken's hint that before we do the next episode for our bonus episode on Patreon, Ken needs a coffee break. (laughs) That egg didn't tide him over nearly as long as he thought he was going to. Um, Okay. So we are, we're coming up here to the end. I know it's been a long episode, but uh, you know, there was lots of ranting and raving at the beginning of it. Um, The last little thing here, we've got one more listener question and it kind of goes back in line with the same things we've Mm -hmm. already talked about. This one here is coming from Tyler. And Tyler's subject to this is question on timing for the spring. So he says, good afternoon, John and Ken. My name is Tyler and I live in Prescott Valley, Arizona. It's a uh, central part. Bad bees over there. <laughs> he says it's the central part about 5,000 foot elevation. Yeah. We get cold weather throughout the winter down into the twenties at night, which is going to be below zero Celsius for those of you in uh, other countries. And our summer temperatures are typically up into the 90s during the day, which is going to be in the 35-ish range Celsius for those of you in other countries. And he says that um, we've had a nice stretch of weather here, and it's been in that mid-temperature range. And the uh, for the last week or so, it's actually been really nice out there. So the bees have been pretty active, and he has a small apiary of about 15 hives. Now, his question comes in. I'm going to uh, skip a little part of this here. But his question comes in because he wants to add some single boxes to about 13 of those hives, and he wants to do it either the end of March or the beginning of April. But here's the crutch. Here's the little wrench in his plan. He has to go in for knee surgery next week, and he's going to be unable to do anything for eight to 10 weeks. So that's actually going to put his ability to work clear out to the beginning of May. So he wants to put boxes on late March, early April, which is a great time to be adding your boxes, you know, depending on where you're at. Actually, yeah. for him, he could probably start adding boxes early March, mid-March, mm-hmm. because he's already in that mid-temperature range. So, but he wants to go through and he wants to start adding these boxes. All right, so his question then is, do I just wait and do it in May when he's done with his surgery? Mm-hmm. Or do I go ahead, since how the temperatures have been nice now and the bees are already foraging and bringing back pollen, should I just go ahead and do it now before my surgery? If I do it now... Should I add new undrawn foundation, uh, a deep box of new undrawn foundation to the bottom or the top? The reason that I ask, and this is where some good logical thinking on his part comes in. The reason that I ask is because heat rises. So if I add it to the bottom and put the existing bees in the top, maybe if we do get a cold snap, at least the bees and the resources are up in the top box where hopefully all the heat is. Thank you guys very much for your time. Keep up the great work. I've listened to every episode at least three times, and I've learned so much. So he's another one of those. He's an addict. <laughs> he's a, a repeat offender in there. Um, okay, so Tyler, here's the deal. You you did Let have some. Let me guess. Let me do a guess. Okay, cool. Go. We're going to split. We're going to put the stores up top so the bees will go up, and the heat's going to be up there with them. Well, the bees, so right now, imagine they're in a single box. Yeah. 
We're going to add an empty box of undrawn. No no drawn foundation. Oh, undrawn no. foundation. Well, you can't do that. So, I mean, you could. You could, but you're going to lose bees. Possibly. Yeah. So here's the, here's the trick. And he did have a great point there. There could still be some cold snaps. Mm-hmm. So if you add the box to the bottom, you have given them physical space. Mm-hmm. So if they do start to feel a little bit crowded, the bees can at least move down into that box to alleviate some of the congestion in the other box. Also, if there's a cold snap... The heat and the bees are all going to be up in the top instead of the heat leaving the bees and going up above that. Now, for those of you who just listened to the latest Deeper Dive episode on the thermal dynamics of the hive and energy consumption, you'll know that the bees don't actually heat the entire box. The only thing they're heating is them, the cluster itself. Mm-hmm. The heat does rise naturally, and so anything directly above their heads is going to be warm enough they hopefully can eat it, but it doesn't really warm up that entire box unless that box has a really good R rating on insulation and thickness. So the concept is great. The downside, regardless if you put it above them or below them, is that it's not going to guarantee you that they're not going to swarm. What may end up happening is, since how we've already mentioned, they only see empty drawn comb as space, Mm -hmm. as available space. Mm -hmm. Undrawn comb, empty void space to them is void, null and void, doesn't mean yep. anything. So if you put it below them, your bees are in the top, they're going to go through and they're going to fill everything out. Everything is going to be great. I just realized I need to go back and answer a question from Aaron. <laughs> um, everything is going to be great, but once they fill up that space, they've got food, they fill it all with brood, they are going to go that into their swarm. swarming tendency and they will potentially swarm. Now, that is not the end of the world. If you put it above them, the exact same thing is going to potentially occur. They may start drawing out some comb up there, but more than likely they're going to expand quick enough that before they get to that point, they're probably still going to go ahead and try to swarm. Now, I know you can't get out there, you can't manage it, and you're probably like, oh my God, I'm doomed. What am I going to do? Well, here's the trick. When a colony swarms, if you were going to look at doing a split and taking away bees and comb versus a colony swarming, The split is going to have a harder time and you're absolutely not probably going to get any harvest out of it whatsoever, whereas the colony that swarms still has all the resources. You may have lost bees, but you did not lose all of the drawn wax, all of the empty comb, any of the pollen that's already stored in there, any of the food that's already stored in there. You, anything the swarm left behind is still there. Now, also, when a colony usually swarms, all of the cells are either full of food or full of bees, right? Mm -hmm. One deep frame can net you over 4,000 bees in a frame. Actually, I think it's uh, one frame of bees can get close to 9,000 if you include both sides on a deep frame. So that's almost a package right there in one frame of Mm -hmm. solid capped brood. So even though you lose, you know, 50, 70% of the existing adult bee population, there is another generation right behind it. That's going to come out. You're immediately going to rebound almost right back to where you were population wise. And those are all young bees that are going to turn around and start drawing out wax. Your colony will continue to grow and you still can absolutely get a honey harvest. It may not be a huge one, Mm -hmm. but you can still get a honey harvest from a colony that swarms versus not getting one from a colony you split also little side note on this the same same concept if your colony swarms in march they've got all of april to recover all of may to recover all of june to recover for us here in central texas our peak of the nectar flow ramps up drastically in may and plateaus all the way through june so if i have a colony that swarms in march or swarms in early april well i'm 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 gonna have traps out and catch it yeah yeah but i'm still good 
because I still have, they can still rebound their population and still have plenty of main nectar flow time Mm -hmm. to bring in a honey harvest for me. So is it the end of the world if your colony swarms? No, it is not. It's going to be okay. So go out there, add your boxes to it because it's better to have the opportunity for them to draw out the comb than not at all. And it, it at least increases your chances that maybe they won't swarm versus not doing anything at all. So go ahead and do it. I think you're good there. Um, thank you very much, Tyler, for sending that in. I hope that your surgery goes well and hopefully you have even a faster recovery and you're way better off in the long run when it's done. So good luck to that, sir. I am going to jump back here real quick to something that Aaron said. Um, because he's right. ADD, Mm -hmm. we, you know, squirrel, we are off all over the place. Mm -hmm. So Aaron did mention in here that he had this thought that if he left the boxes alone, so in his scenario, he's got two boxes, the bees have moved up into the top box, the bottom box is empty drawn comb. What would happen if I left them alone? That was one of the things he said. Well, what happens in nature? They move like an accordion in the spring. They're in, in the top, they go through, they start backfilling. First off, they lay brood. The brood hatches, they start backfilling with food, and as it does, they fill above their head. So they're going to be pushing themselves down into that bottom box, and they're going to fill that bottom box up with brood, and Mm -hmm. the top box is going to be filled up with food. Mm -hmm. So that's how they're naturally going to do it in nature, and then after they get down there, they spend the rest of the winter slowly moving back up, and then at the end of winter, they slowly move back down through the spring and summer, and then they move back up. So it's an accordion process. That's actually what's going to happen. If you leave them alone, would it be detrimental? No. It's, again, exactly what's going to happen in nature. They could still try to swarm if they have open comb Mm -hmm. because they are going to do what they're going to do. And if they have deemed that whatever, all of the little checks and balances that they want are just perfect and it says that it's time to swarm, they're going to do it. Because you have to keep in mind, guys, every living creature in nature It's number one priority. It's number one objective is to propagate itself, to reproduce. And a swarm is the reproductive cycle of your colony. They want to do it. As beekeepers, we try to prevent them from doing it because then we can get bigger colonies and we can get, if we have a bigger colony, we can get bigger honey harvest from it, right? So it's a selfish aspect on our part, but they are genetically predisposition to want to divide and swarm at least once every year. That's how they spread their genetics. That's how they keep the whole animal and creature alive and going, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to happen. You, you'll find situations where they will fill up the entire thing and they're just going gangbusters and you've got a colony right beside them and they only fill up half of that colony and then say, yep, we're good. They're going to swarm and leave. Part of that comes back to the genetic predisposition of maybe that colony has some genetics that like to swarm five times a year. And so they're going to do it regardless. Um, It's just one of the things that you kind of run into. So if you can manage them and you can do other things to keep them busy, then they will stay a little bit longer and you might be able to eke out a few more bees and then get a little bit more honey from it. So coming up in the next episode, there are plenty of more things to talk about as spring approaches. We're going to go through and we're going to break down some of the individual steps and methods that we might have hinted at in this episode. We're going to talk about concepts such as checkerboarding because you don't need to be doing that coming out of winter. So don't even think about it. If you do anything right now, it's just reversing the boxes and that's it. Feed your bees, make sure they're good. Stop there. 
Um, we will talk about checkerboarding techniques. We'll talk about adding in empty frames into between certain things. We'll talk about separating the brood nest to give a little bit of space in there. Honeybound potential issues. All of those things are coming down the way. So we're not forgetting about them. We're purposely stretching things out because we want all of these spring management techniques to be timed and aligned appropriately to when they need to be done. So those are coming down the way. Please stay tuned and look forward to that. For those of you on Patreon, you guys will have another bonus episode coming out on Thursday. And for everybody else, we will see you on Monday. So until then, you guys be good. Be safe. Be happy. Be warm. Bye. Bye. See y'all on the other side. The show might be over for now, but the sting won't last long. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast as we'll be swarming in with new episodes Mondays of each month. Until then, behave yourselves.